Proverbs, and so I always start with a proverb before we get into the message. Today, I decided to give you a pick. So I got two proverbs for you to pick from, and they're both from chapter 25 to today's the 25th, okay? So the first one is this. It's 2515. With patience, you can convince a ruler, and a gentle word can get through to the hard-headed. Sound good so far? Okay. Remember that one, or maybe you'd rather prefer the second one. The second one... This is funny. Okay. No. Verse verse 24. It's better to live in a corner on the roof than inside the house with a quarreling wife. Pick one or the other. (laughs) I don't understand that second one at all, but... Um, maybe today we're in a, today we're in the third um, in a series about prayer, and um, maybe you better pray for me after that little crack. Um, in fact, I, I, before we get into the word, I think I want to pray for um, your needs, and I think there are needs present in the room that I that, that I don't have knowledge of, but I just think the Holy Spirit wants a moment. So, would you just bow your hearts and your head and step up your faith, and let's just ask the Lord to God. Uh, I pray that. The, the needs that came onto this campus today in the hearts of people who really didn't come for any reason other than to find a place of peace, the Lord, you administer there. Without respect to what's going on in the room, without respect to what they're going to hear or what was being sung or hot chocolate or children or all those wonderful things, Lord, there's just a place and a time when we need a touch from, from heaven to bring peace because we cannot apprehended on our own. Lord, minister peace that goes beyond our understanding. Lord, minister healing right now for people who have healing need. Minister provision, God. Minister hope where there's hopelessness. Minister, Lord, in all of those areas. Restore relationships, God. Circulate among your people and grant to them the needs that they they petition these moments. I pray that in the name of Jesus. If you agree, say amen. 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 Okay. So today's the third part in a series on prayer, and um, the reality, reality is that um, a lot of us are just uncomfortable praying out loud. Maybe we're uncomfortable doing it you know, to ourselves. I mean, we, just, we just don't know what to pray for, and so um, we've been studying some different prayers that were prayed by the Apostle Paul and recorded in some of these letters he wrote. And um, you know, in, in the first week, we prayed that, um, that we would have power to understand the love of God. It takes supernatural power to understand the love of God the Word teaches. Last week, or last time, a couple weeks ago, we, we, we learned the prayer about that we'd be active in sharing our faith. And the reason that we need to be active in sharing our faith is because that's how we become fully capable of understanding the love, the love of God and every good thing that we have in Christ. Today, uh, we're going to look at a, at a prayer that the Apostle prayer, Paul prayed. And, um, and, he, and, and, and Jesus prayed a prayer that was very, very close to the exact same prayer. In fact, when you get both the Apostle Paul and Jesus praying the same thing, that should be a sign. Say, yeah, there's probably something for me to get involved in here. Um, so um, this prayer, this, the, the prayer today involves around unity, particularly unity in the body of Christ, unity between Christians in, in the body of Christ, because unfortunately, Christians aren't always the most unified people. Have you ever noticed that? We find these little issues, and um, how many of you know that that's true? Come on, you all know that that's true. If you've been in the church at all, you know. So, you know, I mean, over in my years of ministry, um, which have been a few, quite a few, I've heard all kinds of people criticize the churches that I've been, you know, involved in, where they'd say, you know, well, I never go there, there's no altar there. Or I, I, I wouldn't go there because it's just a big rock concert and I wouldn't waste my time going to a big rock, rock concert. Or it's only for young people. Or it's too loud. Or it's too quiet. Or it's, it's too big. Or it's too small. Or it's... 
doesn't matter. There's, it's too something. I mean, I've heard, I've heard all those things. I mean, I've even heard it's a cult. I haven't heard that about you guys or this church, but it, you know, I, I heard it about the last place I was at. And I, I guess I just want to ask this question. You know, it's, it won't hurt my feelings, but how many of you have, 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 you have heard somebody make comments about this church um, where people are talking about it or have questions or confusion? Any, nobody? Okay. I, I lied. Now I do. That hurt my feelings, I guess. <laughs> no. I mean, I think over time, I, I've, I've come to understand that that's just kind of part of it. It's tragic. But that's kind of how things operate, um, and I ought not to be that way. I'm, I, I can remember this time when um, I went to, my son Joseph played football. Um, he stopped after his freshman year, but, um, or sophomore year, one of those first years. He only played, and I went to one of his games during the week. And I'm standing on the sidelines cheering for my boy, and, and you know, and and a guy struck up a conversation with me, one of the other parents, I didn't really know him, and he was talking about Jesus, and he just gets all excited about it, and he was just telling me all about Jesus. He didn't know me, I didn't know him. And I thought, hey, this is kind of cool. This guy's got some passion, and I just let him go for a while, and pretty soon I felt like it was disingenuous to not say, you know, hey, I want you to know I'm a follower of Jesus too. And he got all excited. He says, oh, you got to come to my church. you got to come to my church. you got to come to my church. And I said, well, you know, hey, I... I love your passion, but I'm already pretty involved in the church that I attend. I didn't tell him what I did or anything like that. And uh, he goes, oh, well, you know, you could come. And I said, no, I, I'm really, really involved. I, I really can't. And he says, well, well what church? And I, I said the name of the church. And his temperament just changed. Face dropped. He was all concerned. And he had just this... this <laughs> and, and, and then he... He, you know, he kind of he looked around to make sure that nobody would hear what he had to say, and then he kind of leaned in close, like he was telling me some deep dark secret. He says, "He says you need to know, my pastor says that the pastors at your church can't be trusted." <laughs> I thought this moment that could be true right now, <laughs> um, and how tragic it is that the body of Christ can become so divided. We know, we, you know, I, I just, I think it's just, and, and the fact is that um, I believe that that is one of our spiritual enemies' greatest strategies, and that is to, you know, divide the body of Christ. Why? Because when we're united, when we stand together, we're pretty much unstoppable. I think the body of Christ is, but if we're divided, we become deluded, you know, weak, and ineffective in how God wants to use it. So today, I want to uh, dive into uh, Paul's prayer that really, really gets on this theme, and we're going to find that in Romans 15, because I believe God wants his body, his family, to be unified for several reasons. So here's Paul's prayer. This is in Romans 15, starting in verse 5. And I'm, normally, I would have it for you. It's my mistake. That's the reason why it's not up there, um, but we'll, we'll maybe later. So verse 5, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had. So he's praying. He's saying, would you treat um, each other? Would you think about each other? Would you love each other like Jesus does? And Paul's praying that we'd have that same attitude. You know, why? And he goes on to tell us in verse 6. So, verse six, so, that, so that with one mind 
and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then in verse 7, and we're going to come back to that one in a minute, but in verse 7 he says, accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Accept one another just as Christ accepted you. Man, I, in order to do those things, you know, it, it, why? Why, why, are we, why does he want us to do it? He says, so that you'll bring, bring praise to God. In other words, if you want to glorify God, if you want to bring praise to God, what we do is we treat each other. We accept each other. We love each other just the same way that God treats and accepted and loves us. In the same way, we do that. Why do we do that? Because it brings glory to God. So Paul's prayer is, you know, this prayer is very, very close to a prayer that Jesus prayed in John chapter 17. And he's talking at this point, of course, prayer is talking to God, right? You realize that. We're talking to God. So um, Jesus is praying. He's talking to the Father. To give you some context, he's talking to the Father about what the disciples have been doing, to give you the context. So he, and this is John 17, starting in verse 20. He says, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Their message. Oh, we got it. Good. Thank you. Way to go. Way to go. <laughs> am I out of my hole yet? Or am I, I, okay, so uh, very good. So, so it says, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. He's, he's referring to the message of the gospel that the disciples are, share, are going to share. Okay, through my, That all of them may be one. Why? Verse 23 says, so that they may be brought to complete, complete unity. Jesus is praying here that we, the family of God, would be unified. Then he says, and this is really good, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Wow. We wouldn't connect the dots like that. What Jesus prayed here and explained here is that when Christians love and treat each other and respect and accept each other, the unsaved world sees that going on. And in their soul, in their mind, they conclude, God loves me just like he loved Jesus. We wouldn't make connect those dots. But that's what Jesus says happens. Do you connect, catch that? That is a big deal. Paul prays for unity. Jesus prays for unity so that God would be glorified and the world would know, the world would know that, that God sent Jesus. He loved him so much. And it's a broken world and he loved them that much. So the body of Christ being unified is a really, really big deal to God. It's not a small deal. And, um, and I, I, just, I just want to just Quick, short prayer. Lord, help us have your heart about the body of Christ in not just concept, but in actual um, action. Lord, help us to be that. So, so far in this series, um, this prayer series, we've been praying for the spiritual power to know the love of Christ and that we'd be active in sharing our faith. Today, I'm asking you to consider adding to your consistent daily prayer life. And I hope that you would pray this the rest of your life, that... that um, that you'd be praying for unity in the body of Christ. And the reason is so that we glorify God and the world would know that, that God loved them so much that he sent his son Jesus. I mean, that's how it works. As a parent, um, you know, I kind of get this at my parental level. I mean, my kids are kind of grown now, but I mean, it used to be that, um, I mean, here's, here's, here's how I know that our Heavenly Father really, really honors unity. Because 
as a parent, I can remember the times we'd put our three kids in the car in the back seat. And depending how far we were going and all kinds of other issues, you know what's going on in the back seat. It could be anything from peaceful, rare, to hurricanes or whatever. I mean, it's like, I mean, there wasn't always a lot of love in the back seat of the car. And like, there would be issues that would come up and, I mean, things happen to your kids in the back seat. I mean, they, they, they form alliances. Evil strategies start to take shape. Sabotage. And pretty soon, you hear yourself, things coming out of your mouth that you never intended. Do not make me pull this car over. And then your arm, you know, you're driving with your left arm because you've got to steer, and your right arm, it's an involuntary reflex. It's going back there, and it's trying to do this, and you don't know what you're going to touch or hit. It doesn't really matter. It's not going to make any difference. And, you know, you don't know what you're going for. <laughs> and why is it that in the body of Christ, we kind of have a tendency to fight? Tragically. Tragically. The reason, that I think, is because we think the Christians down the street are the enemy. But it's only when we recognize that we have a different, common enemy that we can get united. You know, there's a saying that says, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. That's a modernized version of the saying. Many scholars basically say that's an old Arabic proverb. And um, the old Arabic proverb actually says, me and my brother against my cousin, but me and my cousin against a stranger. Kind of interesting, but... But the enemy of my enemy is my friend, and, and it creates some interesting alliances. In World War II, it had the United States being uh, uh, allied with um, China, who had completely different values because we had a common enemy in Japan. We were uh, allied with Russia, another completely different set of values because we had a common enemy in, against the Nazis. I mean, and now there was a word, uh, you've probably heard the word frenemy. Frenemy was first used in 1953, and, it's, and it basically talks about how a common enemy can bring two people together. Frenemy. Never heard that word, frenemy? Okay, well, pays to increase your word power. There you, there you go, frenemy, that's the free word of the day. And as Christians, we need to recognize that we have an enemy whose mission is to steal and to kill and to destroy. He is. He, his, 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 his mission is to steal the unity that can be found in the body of Christ. His mission is to kill the power that comes um, from unity. His, his, his mission is to destroy the credibility that the church has out in the world because we're squabbling. We're squabbling. And by the way, I'm teaching this today because it's part of this series on prayer. I'm not teaching it because I think you guys are out there talking about other churches. But it's something for us to be aware of. So we're kind of laying foundation. When we recognize our enemy's tactics... You know, when we stand together, we as, a, as the body of Christ, not just Crossroads Church, but we as the body of Christ can do so much more in the world. That's why we pray. We pray, we pray for, for the, the body of Christ to be unified. God will be glorified and the world will know Jesus sent him. So I want to give you three reasons why we pray for unity. The first one is this. Number one, because we desperately need each other. We desperately need each other in the family of God. Paul said this to the Romans in, in chapter 12, starting at verse 4. He said, Just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. In other words, hands not an ear, 
The ear is not a foot. The foot is not an esophagus. The whole body needs all the different parts, and they all have their own functions, and without them, we're incomplete. He said, he said this. So he said, we, talking about the followers of Jesus, we are many parts of one body. We call that the body of Christ. And we all belong to each other. We all belong to each other. So we're all part of a broader family, and um, I think that's by divine design. I think God knows what he's doing, and uh, we need to understand this th- th- about uniformity, uh, that, about unity. Unity is not uniformity. Did you catch that? Uniformity and unity are not the same thing. The body of Christ has to allow for a lot of differences. And it's those differences, really, that make us strong. It's those differences that give us the ability to minister to different people in different kind of settings. And, uh, you know, I asked you all a bit earlier, and I kind of played with you a little bit. Have you heard somebody talk about um, our church? And, um, you know, here's my sincere hope. I really, really hope this, that um, in my last five-plus years here, and if you knew me before in the 25-plus years in ministry where I would be in front of people, that you've never heard me say, say something negative about another church or even another denomination. I really hope you have never heard that. Um, I, I, if I have, I don't recall that, but if I have, I just want to apologize for it right now because that is not my heart, and I don't think that, that it is ever what the Lord would want to have happen, come out of, of, of any of us. And, you know, so if I slipped, my, my, desire, my absolute desire is that we would never need to build our church by stepping on top of some other part of the body of Christ. There's just no need for that. There's just no need for that. I, um, I, I just, it's tempting. In fact, it can be too easy to step on other people to, to make ourselves look better. And, and you might not even recognize. I mean, it can it come out, you know, it it can come out like this. Well, we're not like other churches. We say that phrase, or um, you know, other preachers won't tell you this because we'll, but we'll tell you the truth, you know. But that's basically saying you know we're better than the other ones. It's it's a comparison game. It's 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 just, and it happens. I think unintentionally. I think it can slip out, and we don't mean for it to. You know, like we could say, well, we're not like you know those other boring churches, or you know, or you know. Because saying that, you know, we're, we're not like the frozen chosen. You heard that phrase? Okay. I mean, the, I, mean the, I've, I hear those kinds of things. And, and, and when we say those kinds of things, what we just did was we took a shot at somebody. We did. We took a shot at them. You know, you know we're not like those crazy, weird faith churches or those big mega churches or those little itty-bitty churches or the, you know, seeker-sensitive, shallow ch- I mean, you can... Paint it however you want and, and create your comparison. And, and the thing is that I, I just say, who cares what we're not like? I mean, that, just, we just need to be who we are. You as a Christian, just be who you are. Feel the license and the freedom to be who you are, not to try to define yourself by what you're not. And we don't have to step on other people. Just, just We should just be who we are, because the, I don't mean to be derogative, but to describe this, the, the, the frozen chosen churches are going to reach people that we won't reach. Those crazy faith churches are, good, are teaching an element that if it's missing in your life, you cannot please God, according to Hebrews 11.6. 
Faith is a big deal. Smaller churches are effective in ways that big churches can't be. And big churches can do things that small churches just can't do. And so there is a place for all those. So what we're going to do is we're not going to be, um, it, we just don't need to step on others to, to grow. In fact, I, I'm going to say it this way. and I, I don't think this needs to be said, but I think it's healthy for us to say this as a church. I want the posture of Crossroad Church to be, if we're going to make a mistake, I would like for us to err on the side of being for other believers, not against them. Okay, that's like a policy statement for the church. We're, if we're going to make a mistake on this issue, we want to err on the side of being for other believers and not against them. We're going to speak well of other ministries and other movements and other denominations. Now, what I'm not saying is that, that you know, we won't call out blatant error. If, if somebody says that Jesus had sin-filled life, or if somebody says that hell doesn't exist, we're going to call that out gently and lovingly. We'll stand for what Scripture says. But there's, there's not a need for us to nitpick over, you know, well, they've got contemporary worship and it should be traditional or, you know, we're not going to nitpick over those kinds of things because to put those differences into perspective, an average of 180 Christians are killed somewhere in the world every month because they stand for their faith. 180, that's the average Christians in 60 different countries face persecution right now from their own governments. I'm not counting us. That's not funny, is it? Oh. Um. <laughs> oh. Now you say it's funny after I whack myself. Did you enjoy that, Stu? Okay. In... in <laughs> In 41 of the worst 50 countries, Christians are being persecuted by Islamic extremists. And in in some of the most extreme places, Christians are being imprisoned, um, extreme versions of torture and even executions. There are some countries where if you're found holding a Bible on the public street, you're put to death. We don't need to nitpick over the style of worship somewhere else or the way they teach, or those kinds of things. And I, I know I, I took you to you know, these extreme magnitudes of negative things that are happening to Christians out there, and I did that on purpose, because I want us to have a good perspective about not being nitpicky. And I don't think you are, and I don't think I am, but I think the difference between me going there in my heart is real easy. I mean, as a pastor, I'm going to go away to some, some pastor meetings this week. Several, there's, a, there's a conference several days this week up in Puyallup. And, and so I'm going to sit, and somebody else is going to lead worship who's not going to be Eric. And I know it's not going to be good enough for me. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm serious. I mean, Lisa will tell you I've been going to conferences forever, and I don't sit there and criticize, but I go and I always measure against the wonderful thing that I get to enjoy here. I mean, and the place I've been, and it's, it's just so easy to let your heart go there. You've got to fight that down. I've got to be for those guys, even if they sing that song. Wrong! <laughs> so, um, and I think about those people in those countries and those kinds of things, and partly what's, what's bad about all that is that we need those people. We need those people. I mean, we need their perspective. We, we, need their, we, need, we need 
we need to be aware of what's going on and when we need to pray for unity. And when we recognize that we have an enemy doing that to our own, when we, when we recognize that we're part of this bigger family, um, that there are followers of Jesus in Nepal and Uganda and you know, Europe and South Africa and all over the world that God created, that it's men and women and children and rich and poor, probably mostly poor. They come from every ethnic background. They speak all kinds of different languages, more denominations than you and I could mention. And, and, and every one of us, we all worship the very same Jesus Christ. We do. Our Savior and our Lord. We need each other, therefore we pray. So we don't just hope. We don't just wish. We don't just do nothing about all that. We pray for power um, because we need that power. We pray that we'll be active in sharing our faith, but we pray for unity in the family of God so that the world will see and know that God loves them just like he loved Jesus. Why do we do this? Number one, because we desperately need each other. And the second reason that, that we do this is because the world will see God's love. Lord, let the world see your love. And when we're unified um, as a family of God, they, they see it. They see it happen. They see it as active and passionate um, love of Jesus and his family. And I, I, love, I love the imagery of this in Romans 15. Here, here's Paul, um, along with his prayer. He says, he says, accept one another just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Now, for those of you who want, like to parse the Greek words here, here comes a really cool one. This word, accept, proslambano, it's a, it's a picture, it's a beautiful word. It doesn't, it, it, it carries this imagery more than just um, somebody puts something into your hands and you keep it. it it's, it's, it's more like you embrace, but it even connotes um, actually something of movement towards it. Okay, so ex- accept one another. The picture here isn't that, okay, come on, um, you, you know, they give you something, you accept it. Okay, here, for example, first day of school. You walk into the cafeteria. You look around, stuff going on all over. And um, in the ninth grade, and you realize, or you're a freshman or junior or whatever, and you realize that what happens in the next 60 seconds is going to define your place in the social order of the school for the whole next year and maybe beyond. And you look over there, and there's the cool kids' table, and there's the nerd table, and the jock table, and the weirdos table, and, you know, all these different places. And you're thinking, okay, I'd really like to move up a couple of levels in the caste system, <laughs> or whatever, <laughs> you know. And, and so you decide to strike out and see, can I sit at the cool kids' table? And so you walk over there with a sheepish look on your face, and there's an empty spot, and I've talked to you in the hallway before, can I sit down here and cool Seth says, yeah, go ahead. Okay, that would be him accepting me. But that's not what this word proslambano means. It means that I walk in, Seth looks across the room from his cool, cool table seat and says, there's Terry. Hey, you guys, I'll be right back. I'm going after him. And he says, hey, you looking for a place to sit? Come and sit with us. Come on. Here, in fact, take my seat. I'll sit over here. That's what this word says. That's what this word says is how we're supposed to treat other Christians. Unity in the body of Christ. Wouldn't that have made that first day in the cafeteria so much better? Imagine the other kids watching that transaction. They're saying, man, 
Seth must really care. Translation, when we do that among Christians, the world, somehow, it goes in their mind, in their soul, and God puts this and says to them, that's how much I love you. That much is how much I love you. Actually more, but you can't understand the more part. That's a great, I love that word. Accept one another just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. And, and, and these people, you know, they may be different, other Christians. You know, they have a different following, a different emphasis. You know, one of the guys I like to listen to on the radio, he's dead now, but, you know, he invites me on the Bible bus. Leave the driving to us, which is as corny as it gets. But I love the fact that when he teaches the word of God, I'm his brother and he's teaching me in something and he's so different than me, but I would never say that. Hop on the Bible bus. We're going to preach today. You know, I, that's just not. <laughs> you wouldn't be here. <laughs> anyway, where did I lost my place? And here's the thing. When we accept each other in the body of Christ, what's going to happen is our reputation with the world is going to change. And it needs to change. The reputation of Christians in the world needs to change. Instead of the body of Christ, you know, the church, Christians, being known for what we're against, you know, oh, they're against this, they're against that, they're against this, they're against that person, they're, you know, you don't even have to tell me what they think, I already know, because here's what they're against. Instead of being known for what we're against, by the grace of God, I, I think we should be known for what we're for. What we're for. We're people for experiencing the grace and the love of God. I'm for that. I'm for you experiencing and knowing the love and the grace of God. And that can happen when we love, when we accept other Christians. And Jesus couldn't have said it any more clearly in John chapter 13, He says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, as I have loved you, as I have loved, the same way I loved you, so love, so, so you must love one another. And verse 35 is so powerful. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Do you think people will know you're his disciple? They're gonna know that. Did you notice he didn't say, you know, he didn't say they're gonna know you're my disciples by your right doctrine? They're going to know you're my disciples because you attend the right denominational church or non-denominational church or by your music style. He didn't say any of that. He said, by this. What's the this? That you love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. God's basically saying that there is only one way people will, will know that you are his disciple. You can look it up all through the Bible. There's no other way that the Bible says you will be known that you're God's disciple. It is the only way that if you love other Christians. Now, a lot of times, um, this, this, this scripture does tell us to love other people besides Christians, right? Did you catch that? But the way they will know you are his disciples is because you love other Christians. The focus here is on the body of Christ, doesn't mean you don't love the rest, but the focus here is on the body of Christ. And it actually takes quite a lot of faith to pray for unity in a very, very divided body of Christ. I mean, I mean, the Pope came. He visited 
Congress and the United Nations and did a bunch of things, and uh, I'm not here to endorse a lot of the doctrine of the Pope, but what I didn't like to see happen was the criticism of him. I heard criticism because he addressed Congress and never said the name Jesus. Okay, the Pope is two things. He's the head of a church. He's also the head of a state. He's the head of a country. Okay? He was standing in in Congress as the head of state. I don't have any rub with that. But for people who try to make hay out of that, that's just that's just causing division. That's just it's just I just think that just doesn't need to happen. If we love one another, if you love other Christians, that's how they'll know. And it takes faith to provide that, to pray for that, I think. Um, how do we pray? So we pray, we pray for this because we need each other. We pray for this because the world will see God's love. And then number three, because with unity, we can do so much more together. Because the local church carries with it, I really believe the local church carries with it the hope of the world. The local church is not the hope of the world. Christ is. But we carry with us that message of hope. And most of the people in this community are going to hear it from you in one way or another. I mean, I'm just going to give you um, what in the scale of what's out there in the world, this is tiny and it's puny, but it's us. I'm not not saying we're tiny and I'm puny. I'm saying that we have more impact than you realize. Um, I'm glad the system works because first thing I'm going to show you is this is the front page of the church website. I'm not bragging, I'm just informing you. So if you go to crossroads.life, L-I-F-E, this is what you get, and there's a bunch of stuff on there. And, um, and so um, I, I don't really do any of the work. Other people do that. Thank, I thank them all for, for, for that. And um, um, I, there's a place you can go on Google Analytics, and it is for eggheads that like to know if a website's producing any fruit. And I don't do that. I probably hadn't done it for three or four years, but I thought recently, I wonder what's going on with our webpage. So I went on Google Analytics and said, what's going on with the church website? And being the selfish, self-centered person that I am, I wanted to know, does anybody go to the message page? You know, you can go there and there's a place you can go. You can go and um, you can get the messages. You can listen online. You can download them and listen to them later in your car or whatever. But so, so I'm kind of curious, you know, is this worth our time and effort? So um, I thought, okay, that's interesting. So we can go to the next one. And the next one shows the results of Google Analytics. Now, this is a world map. This was a random day a couple weeks ago. A random day a couple weeks ago. And on that one random day, 179 people from around the world somewhere got on our website and either listened to or downloaded the message. Two-thirds of the people listened online, and um, one-third downloaded for later. Now, the size of the dot, it's hard to see. I'm sorry, the graphics, you know, I'm not that much of a graphics person. But the size of the dot dot is is relative to the number of hits in that region. So the biggest dot, obviously, is Puget Sound, which is, you see, the big dot. But look around. Sao Paulo, Brazil, Rio de Janeiro. There's places in Malaysia, Turkey. I have no idea. Who is getting on our website and listening? It was, I mean, the last time I looked was several years ago. There was some place in Russia that kept downloading and listening to the message. I'm sure they must have us mistaken for somebody else. (laughs) This just shows this little way we are united around the world that you and I have no idea. We sit here and we come to church on a little Sunday morning and you are faithful and you're generous and you give your tithes and your offerings and so we make it available to whoever. It's free. We don't charge anybody for this. 
you know, you can ask for a, a message. I'm not pushing our messages. But, um, yeah, I'm pushing our message. It's the Word of God. Um, you know, a lot of people sign up after church, and we make these CDs, and you can do that. But you don't have to do that. They're free. They're online, and they're just there for the taking. And um, it's, just, it's just a gift. And, 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 and besides, way beyond that, your heart, our heart goes way beyond. We send hundreds of dollars every month to different missions around the world. And uh, things like putting coats on children. I, I'm so proud of us for doing that. Do more. Let's do more. Let's send 100, 200 coats out that door next week. And we've got a long ways to go. I mean, just find them on sale. In fact, I think next year, you know, they go on sale in February or March or whenever, whenever they move to summer clothes. I'm going to go buy a whole bunch of coats. So we're ready for this time next year. Because um, I, I think... We just got in on this kind of late, but there are kids in our community who don't have coats and their families can't afford to buy them. And we can do it for them. Coats to kids, shoe boxes, food. We give food away. We give help all year long, but food, especially at Christmas time. And um, I mean, I, I think that very, those kinds of things were the heartbeat behind the attitude that made the first century church so profound and so vibrant. I mean, they didn't have any buildings. They didn't have any television ministry. They didn't have any fundraising campaigns. No, they had no government entitlements, none. They didn't have any of that stuff. Here's what they did have. Massive persecution. Executions for sharing their faith. That's what they did have. And they said, you know, we believe Jesus was raised from the dead. Okay, you're in trouble, and they got persecuted. That's, that's what they did. And, and yet this little band of hardly educated you know, first century, but very passionate Jesus followers spread the gospel all over the world. And even though their culture rejected their faith, you know, they were known for loving each other. They were known for that. Standing together, they were known for their unity. Here's how it's described in Acts 4. And this is powerful. Luke says, verse 32, all the believers, catch that, how many was that? Tell me. All. Yeah, okay. All the believers were in one heart and mind. This is so important. They were unified. They're one heart and one mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. Man, I'm going to pause there for a second. That's, that's crazy love. That's next level. I don't get it, love. I mean, that's commitment to the family of Jesus love. And wow, verse 33. And, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. In them all, God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. I want God's grace powerfully at work in me and in you. That there were no needy persons among them. Man, I I love the power of that kind of unity. Where they didn't see themselves as individual Christians, you know, but instead they saw themselves as part of this big family. A family that needs each other, that wants to demonstrate God's love. And I think about our skeptical world how the skeptics out there would you know what would happen if the body of Christ really acted like this you know they would say you know I just don't know about this whole Jesus thing I I just don't know about this whole raised from the dead thing but I those people absolutely love each other look at the way they honor and bless each other you know, see the way they take care of each other? Do you, you know, do you, do you see how generous they are with each other and love us? And, and so, I mean, this next little thing might be a little direct. 
okay? And I think the world is really tired of hearing about the love of Jesus. I think they want to see it. I mean, I think the world has gone deaf to the phrase, God loves you. When they hear that right now, it's a marketing ploy. When they hear it right now, it's, it's not true in their mind. When, when, when the world hears God loves you, it doesn't go anywhere. And what scripture is telling us will change that is when they see us love each other, they'll believe God loves them personally. Isn't that crazy? That should be a lot less weight on you and me to convince them of anything. It's the work of the Holy Spirit to, to convince them. It's our work to love each other. They want to see it. They want to see it. Did you catch that? They want to see it. <laughs> and how they're going to see it is when we have love for each other. So as a church, we're going to pray for power and we're going to pray that we'll be active in sharing our faith and we're going to pray for unity in the family of God. Because I believe what would happen, you know, if, if, if all Christians in the world were united, you know, billions of believers, every nation, every city, every culture, you know, if we stood together, I, I think things like starvation would literally be eliminated. Is that too big a vision? I mean, I think starvation would be done with. I think poverty would be done with. I think orphans would no longer need places to live. I think that kind of stuff would happen, would change if the body of Christ was, had unity around the world. And here's the crazy thing. I believe it's possible. The reason I believe it's possible is because I believe it's the will of God. I believe it, and I actually believe it, it's, it, it will happen. And it's going to happen when the church prays and stands together and we don't take shots at each other. God's called his family to a higher purpose and we serve that higher God. Let's pray.